Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the, I guess that's why they call it, the Elton John podcast podcast. So here it is. This is my attempt to bring into reality Rare Masters Volume 2. I've been looking forward to doing this since the very beginning, but it's a huge topic. It's taken a lot of research. It's one of the reasons why this episode's so late. Um, but it's so big that I've elected to split it into two separate episodes. Otherwise, it would have run beyond two hours, and no one wants that. I really loved the first Rare Masters. It came along at the perfect time for me. I'd collected all the classic era albums. I had a few of the singles. Um, I used to pick them up on a monthly basis at my local record fair. And I was filling in all the gaps using the excellent discography in Only the Piano Player by Alan Finch. Then there it was with no fanfare at all as far as I was concerned on the shelf in HMV in London. I don't know what I was doing in London at the time. I didn't even have a CD player. But yeah, I still bought it. I dubbed it onto tape at my friend's house. I remember doing that, um, reading the inlay and just ignoring him. Um, and, you know, loads of it wasn't new. I had Lady Samantha and I also had the Friends album, for example. But a uh, few of the singles were new. The first single, which I didn't think an awful lot of, I have to say. I don't think I'd heard Ho Ho Ho. Um, Six City and Cold Highway were new to me and I loved those. Um, and obviously there were all of the Unexpected tracks, the Mick Ronson Madman, Rock Me When He's Gone, that manic version of Slave, Let Me Be Your Car, and Planes. What an amazing gift that was to the fans. Anyway, I tried to remember what I loved about that album whilst doing what the record company should have done years ago, and that's planning the follow-up. I tried to imagine what the record company would release as volume two if they could be bothered if they applied the same basic principles that worked so well for volume one starting up where that one left off basically that means collecting together all the non-album a sides and b sides it makes for a huge collection though three cds worth just to go up to the point where elton went into therapy which is the only logical cutoff point um, there's the unreleased tracks as well. Those, as far as we're concerned, are unknown unknowns, as Don Rumsfeld would say. I haven't been able to program them into the main collection, um, so I've annexed them to a fourth CD. Today I'm going to detail CD1 and CD2, and the next episode, 26, is going to be a bit shorter. It's going to cover CD3. And the sort of things that might find their way onto CD4, and I'll play a few of those as well. Just as I did for episode 19, I've made a deeply nerdy document to accompany the episode, and it shows the complete track listing for the three CDs that I've programmed, along with links to listen to the songs on YouTube. I've also made a YouTube playlist so that you can listen at your leisure. Um, that's all in the episode description. I'm not going to be playing everything today. I'm just going to pick out some of the songs and some of the moments in some of the songs that I particularly enjoy. Um, I'll try to work out what was recorded when. And I'll tell some stories about the songs where we do know anything about them. That kind of thing. So, off we go. Track 1 and track 2 are sides A and B, respectively, of the transatlantic number one hit from July 1976. Don't go breaking my heart. This is the B-side, Snow Queen. Snow Queen 
Both sides were recorded during the Blue Move sessions in March 1976 at Eastern Sound Studios in Toronto. There are working versions of both of them termed demos on YouTube where Elton sings all of the vocals as a guide for Kiki who recorded her contributions in London. This song has actually had a CD release. It's on a Reader's Digest 5 CD set called Merry Christmas Everybody from 1993. So it seems that MCA did deign to open their vaults, but only accidentally. Presumably just grasping around for anything they owned that had the word snow in the title. Although it's not particularly Christmassy, this song, it is a bit of a gift to Elton John fans. A little extra slice of blue moves. It's got Davies' acoustic right at the heart of it. Plays so precisely and with such fluidity. He gets a songwriting credit alongside Bernie and Elton, as well as Kiki D and David Nutter. David Nutter was a photographer. His big break came when he ended up being the only person to document John Lennon and Yoko Ono's wedding out in Gibraltar. By 1975-76, though, he'd become part of Elton's entourage. Andrea Grasso from the excellent Elton John Italia fan page had the foresight to ask Davey about this odd songwriting credit on his Ask Davey page back in 2013. And Davey said this, That's because when... Elton and me were writing the song before Torpin wrote Snow Queen. David was shooting some photos of us and he contributed some words and rhymes, as did Kiki. You see, the song we were writing went like this. I'm always on the bonk. Je ne suis pas noir, mais je suis blanc. This is the first time I've let this out. A scoop. We were screaming with laughter. A good memory. 
It's a pretty serious sounding song to have come out of such a carry-on style bit of knockabout. We have a picture um, of the writing session, I think, in David Nutter's book, and it's on the internet as well. It's a shot of Kiki in a bikini singing her heart out. Davy on electric um, and Elton on keyboard from Christmas time 1975 when Kiki, Davy, Nutter, Elton and Bernie were out in Barbados. This is also where Don't Go Breaking My Heart was written as discussed in episode 23. As Davy stresses, the risque lyrics were replaced when Bernie got a hold of the song. Perhaps then, this is a very rare thing, Bernie writing to an already set melody line. Perhaps not. Davy's lyrics don't seem to scan with what we have here, anyway. Bernie might have been pleased to have some other names credited on the song, though, to distance him from his lyric, which ended up being a catty dig at Cher and her drug use. Elton and Cher seemed to be friends at the time. They certainly worked together. They'd just done Cher's TV special where it was all smiles. Cher and Bernie are even rumoured to have been more than friends at some point. The lyrics certainly do suggest an intimate knowledge of Cher's private quarters, the cushion uncrumpled and the bed that's unruffled. The snide comments about drug use were the uh, pot calling the kettle black, though. The, the bad blood... Continued after this, Elton turned down Cher's short-lived rock band Black Rose in 1980 when she requested a support slot with him. Bernie did supply some lyrics for that album, though. On the song You Know It, the lyric ran like this, So if you want me, baby, well then show it. By at least 1986, Lady Chockice and Cher had made it up when uh, Cher contributed the lyrics for Don't Trust That Woman on Leather Jackets. In 1990, Cher said this, Elton and I were going to a Paul McCartney concert, and on the way home he was saying that he wanted to apologise, that it wasn't his fault. Elton then explained that they'd written that terrible lyric about me. I've never heard it, but I know it's real nasty. Share obviously isn't a Reader's Digest subscriber then. Right, I hope you've got your track listing to hand. Track three, it's the Gold Diggers charity single. One day I'm going to play that, I'm sure. But today is not that day. And just so you know, I passed on the B-side of that song, Jimmy, Brian, Elton, Eric, for the compilation because it's basically just Jimmy Hill and Brian Moore jabbering on. It would destroy the flow Track four, I wasn't sure about including either. In general, I've passed over edits and mixes for my Rare Masters Volume 2, but this one to me is just about valid enough. It's the Tom Moulton remix of Bite Your Lip, which was released as a 7-inch single in June 1977. Tom Moulton used to be a model before getting into the music business, essentially as a DJ. He became known as the father of the extended disco mix. He mixed songs together into one long suite for the album Never Can Say Goodbye for Gloria Gaynor, something that was a huge innovation and it changed dance music forever. He's also down as having invented the 12-inch single as well. He was a producer too. He produced Grace Jones's early records as well as being a sought-after remixer, with this being the job that he was brought in to do by Elton. 
He nibbled away at Bite Your Lip. He took it down from a plump seven minutes to a tight 3.37. According to Gus Dudgeon, the song wasn't originally supposed to have had what he called a 95-year fade-out. Elton, the band and the choir just started. Apparently, they couldn't stop. James Newton Howard's string part was added afterwards. As well as snipping the song, Moulton's played with the mix a bit. He highlighted the slide guitar and revealed Elton's interjections over the top of the choir's contributions. single reached 28 in both the UK and the US, his first single in the US to miss the top 20 since Tiny Dancer. For me, there's enough of a difference here to warrant the inclusion. I don't dislike the song, but I prefer it shorter, even if Morton didn't actually manage to turn it into disco music. Moving on, Tracks 5 and 6, these are the A and B sides of the March 1978 standalone single Ego, backed with Flintstone Boy. They've had a whole episode dedicated to them, episode 15, so there's not much left for me to say here. The single only made number 34 on the charts, once again the same chart position on both sides of the Atlantic, which is weird. Um, As I said in the episode, Ego is one of my favourites, it's a one of a kind track in the Elton John catalogue but the production's a bit dry and wooden and the song doesn't have much of a hook for people to hang on to. One thing that I somehow failed to mention in that episode was the fact that the downturn in Elton's chart success followed pretty much directly on from the famous bisexual Rolling Stone interview in October 1976. Certainly not a coincidence although there was a definite sense that music was moving on in all sorts of directions around Elton. So that was what was on Elton's mind. He was mulling it over as he drove, or was driven, more likely, the 20 minutes up from Windsor, where he lived, to Cookham, Berkshire, um, where the studios were, the mill at Cookham, where a single man was recorded during the first half of 1978, So many songs were recorded, or at least started there. The 11 tracks from the album, there's Ego, Flintstone Boy. There were three B-sides that were included with the Mercury release of the album in 1998. Plus there's Conquer the Sun, Earn While You Learn, Dreamboat and Lonely Boy. There are also three, or there's more songs than that, that I'm aware of that don't circulate. Um, At least 23 songs. And he would mine this material for the flip side of his singles for years to come, all the way up to August 1984, in fact. The first of these to come out was the desperate I Cry at Night. This house that I live in has no reason This house that I sleep in has no purpose It has a bed And a few old chairs Three flights up Two flights of stairs 
but it has no reason The sun watch shone through the tire swing The dogs barked and bayed in the winter and spring And the ivy that hung now sadly clings To a dying season And I cry at night when the lights go out And the green eyes fuse and the full moon shouts From her own maps and red lines to lipstick lies And when the lights go out it's tough to survive This is a great song. It's a high watermark in the middle of CD1. It's another Blue Moves vintage Torpin lyric, probably the sort of thing that Elton said that he was having to turn down in 1976 for being just too bleak. Elton set it to a dramatic, wandering melody with almost conversational phrasing at times, recording it totally solo, just his piano, some keyboards, and a chorus of lonely Eltons. That fruity modulation between the verse and the chorus where he goes from B-flat minor up to a whole load of unsettled chords which are based around a C bass note takes the song somewhere manic and unhinged before the head bows again in B flat minor it's almost uncanny how appropriate the lyric is for Elton hold away in his enormous mansion watching as the clash the Sex Pistols, Susie and the Banshees, Elvis Costello as they all steal away his thunder Elton's the ivy clinging sadly to a dying season. He's ten years a slave to rock and roll, but the love of the audience has come and gone, and when the lights go out, it's tough to survive. It's so stark. It's no wonder that Elton didn't want to draw too much attention to it by putting it on the album itself. It also would have sent the album even further down into downer territory. It's a better song than, say, Big Dipper, but Big Dipper has got a job to do on the album, and it does it pretty well. Um, instead, it came out as the B-side of Part-Time Love, which is one of the few breezy pop songs that made it onto the album. I think it was written fairly late into the sessions because David Johnson was back in town. Um, the single made it to number 15 in the British charts and it scraped the top 20 in the US 22. There was still life in the old dog yet. Lovesick was the B-side of Song for Guy, which was released just seven weeks after Part-Time Love in the UK. That didn't seem to hinder it, though. It topped out at number four and stayed in the charts for ten weeks. 
In the US, it wasn't released until March the following year. The record company had some real reservations about the song. It didn't even crack the top 100 in the end. I've also read that quite a few of the copies that did make it into the hands of fans in the US were warped. For its part, Lovesick is a bit of fluff. It's another Bernie lyric about lost love, but this time Elton's given it a middle-of-the-road Philly sound. It's full of hooks, um, and it's got some great-sounding strings from Buckmaster, which unfortunately fade out just as they're getting going. It's interesting to compare as we go from Elton's take on the Philly sound from 1978 back to the real deal because the next three tracks, tracks 9 to 11, are the Tom Bell sessions which were recorded back in November 1977 and then shelved for more than a year before Elton and Clive Franks remixed them for release in around January 1979. Tom Bell was coming towards the end of a golden run of singles and albums with the stylistics and the spinners. He'd moved studios too, but he still managed to get a warm, authentic sound onto these tracks. I wasn't sure if I should include them at all. All six songs that they recorded did get eventually released on CD after all. But there'd be a really big gap in the single discography if these tracks weren't represented here at all. In the UK only, Are You Ready For Love was released as a single and I've included the shorter radio edit from that era. There's not a huge difference between this mix and the remix that became Elton's fifth UK number one in 2003. They seem to have simplified the percussion and turned up the guitar a little bit. That's all there is to my ears. Maybe I'm missing something. And that made for a number one in 2003. But in 1979, it was a different story altogether. It didn't even make the top 40. It was completely out of step with the times people had had enough of that slick disco sound. And disco, it does share some features with disco. It's obviously not disco music. 
It was just sounding really tired to the record-buying public, as Elton was about to find out later that year with Victim of Love. All three of these songs were released as an EP in the US, um, which actually came up trumps with the slow shuffle of Mama Can't Buy You Love making the top ten. The next track, track 12, is Strangers, another outtake from a single man, a Gary Osborne lyric this time. This showed up as the B-side of Victim of Love in July 1979. It's a slow gospel waltz, Elton singing in his new lower register, sharing the choruses with BJ Cole's pedal steel guitar. This is another great tune, a bit middle of the road for sure, but a strong melody. Um, and it ended up being covered in 1982 by Randy Meisner from the Eagles, along with Anne Wilson from Heart as a duet with the Paul Buckmaster string arrangement, incidentally. sure that Conquer the Sun is a single man era song because the original sound recording is credited as having been made by William A. Bong Productions Limited, unlike the songs from the 21 at 33 sessions which are credited to Sackville Productions Limited. 
It also has got what sounds like a Paul Buckmaster arrangement, and it's got that single man band um, as described in episode 15. I adore this song. Particular highlights for me are the slide guitar solo, so smooth and Beatlesy. And then the way the song steps up through the chorus, it gains in strength and resolve all the way up to the we can conquer the sun refrain so well constructed it's more than likely that the we can conquer the sun line was part of elton's rough lyric that gary osborne fleshed out i say that because the lyrics and the music are just one and the same at that point it's just a hunch there was ever a Elton John Gary Osborne song that needed to be remastered and given a proper release it's this one it always seemed weird to me that this song was confined to the b-side of Little Genie it would have fitted perfectly on a single man maybe it was finished too late on for that album Buckmaster might have been the limiting factor he was apparently quite late with some of his charts perhaps they held off putting it a on a B-side at first because they were considering it for the next album. It would have been a highlight of 21 at 33. Who knows why they didn't choose it for there. Plenty of artists would be happy to base a career around a song of this quality, but Elton just chucks it on a B-side and moves on. So maybe we should do the same. Track 14 is White Man Danger, Gary Osborne's song, the first song on this collection to have been recorded during the 21 of 33 sessions. band at that time had Steve Lukather from Toto on guitar, Alvin Taylor on drums, who sounds great here, along with Reggie McBride on bass. I'm not sure if it's Elton on keyboards or it could be David Page from Toto, who was on some of these sessions, or even James Newton Howard. The backing vocalists have got the same sort of sound as the group that recorded the song Dear God, so that would mean that they include Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. It's not exactly a classic Osborne lyric. It's no Indian sunset, this one. Red Man got two chances, slim chance and none. It came out in August 1980 on the B-side of Sartorial Eloquence. 
or as it was called in the US, don't you wanna play this game no more? And this sounds like it would have been great fun to play with its slow, draggy drum part, those little gaps, little switches and lurches that keep recurring. Possibly, though, it's more fun to play than it is to listen to, especially as it runs to nearly six and a half minutes. CD1 ends in style with the other song that was on the B-side of Sartorial Eloquence, there are two. This is the advert that Elton did off his own back for his favourite watchmaker, Cartier. If your life is dull and dreary And you're feeling rather weary Of the mundane things that clutter up one's life Drive your roller up to Bond Street Where royalty and Shakespeare make your day Here's the thing to do This, for me, is a wonderful little bit of whimsy. I can see why Elton would have snuck it on to to be continued. I know it's a total throwaway, but the melody is so much better than it needs to be to get the joke across. And I bet it got him some good deals when he found himself back at Bond Street. On to CD2. Tracks 1, 2 and 3 come from the Dear God release in the UK. From November 1980, Dear God was... Backed with three outtakes from 21 at 33. This instrumental called Tactics. Um, this was on the B side. And then two other tracks came on a companion 7-inch. Um, Steal Away Child, an Osborne lyric, was backed with Love So Cold by Bernie. Obviously, Elton felt that he had songs to spare at the time. isn't one of Elton's wonderful funereal instrumentals although it is quite reminiscent of Funeral for a Friend in some places unlike that song it's predictable and a bit forgettable it sounds like the theme music for an 80s TV programme James Newton Howard is all over it playing a Prophet 5 by the sounds of things as an introduction for CD2 though it's ideal Let's think about those 21 at 33 sessions for a moment, as well as the nine tracks that ended up on the album. There were these Dear God B-sides, Tactics, Steal Away Child and Love So Cold. There was White Man Danger and Cartier, which we had from the B-side of Sartorial Eloquence. And then there were four more, which he metered out on singles over the next couple of years. Can't Get Over Getting Over Losing You, Tortured, Hey Papa Legba and The Retreat. Plus, there were the songs that he was permitted to carry over onto the Fox. Heart in the Right Place, Carla Etude, Fanfare Chloe, and Elton's song. That's 22 songs. 
There are other songs from this era as well. Basque, Remember and Sweetheart on Parade were all demoed around the 21 at 33 period. I'm not sure when Lonely Boy was recorded. It seems to have got the 21 at 33 band on it. There's also Reach Out to Me, uh, which we'll come to soon. That was written a bit later on in the autumn of 1980. It's clear that there was a lot of material on the go at this time, though. Enough for a double album and a couple of singles, probably. But how strong would it all have been? A double album was on the table during this period as well. Here's Elton introducing the song Elton Song, although I can't work out what he's actually calling it here. Um, at a gig in Boston, it's October 1979. He's referring to the recording of Victim of Love when he says that they've recorded three albums. During the summer, we've uh, done three albums. Later on, Elton said in his interview with Paul Gambaccini in August of 1980 that he'd been looking towards doing an instrumental album, film score, alongside James Newton Howard. It's likely that Tactics, Basque and Carla Etude would have been intended for that project at some point. Elton's song was also originally conceived as an instrumental, but obviously that was a lot earlier. Going back to Dear God, the other single had Gary Osborne's Steal Away Child on its A-side. It's a hymn-like number, just Elton and a couple of Yamaha electric piano sounds very peaceful and, dare I say, a little inconsequential. The reverse was Bernie's Love So Cold, a really fun song. The intro's got Elton doing his Desi Arnaz impression in his role as Ricky Ricardo from I Love Lucy, returning from the club and delivering his famous laugh.
This is an infectious little tune. I'm not sure what you'd call that Caribbean rhythm. It's a bit calypso, it's a bit scar, it's fun. The keyboard emulation of the steel drums is fine. It doesn't grate on me. On top of all of this, we've got this easy rolling melody from Elton. It sounds like he's stirred together a load of his other songs for this, but you can't really place any of them. It stands alone well enough. Bernie's lyric is a slightly dark tale about a man going out on the town, straying with his partner at home, who was guilty of doing that thing that we all do, ageing. Bernie's lyric might well have led Elton directly to thoughts of the real-life and on-screen relationship between Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball, which certainly had that dynamic. And that, in turn, might have led him into Caribbean music territory. It certainly gives us a bit of an idea as to what Elton's entry point into Caribbean music was. It's not a very authentic thing, but it is an enormous success and another tune that really deserves a remaster. Next up, tracks four and five are the France-only single Les Aveux, backed with Donner pour Donner, both of them duets with the French chanteuse France Gaulle, who died in January this year, last year, last year. Les Aveux is the translated version of the song Reach Out To Me, which Elton had written with Tom Robinson, but Tom's lyrics never did see a release. The French lyrics were written by France Gaulle's singer-songwriter husband, Michel Berger. It was Michel's work that had interested Elton, according to an interview with France Gaulle in Paris Match in 1982. Elton phoned Michel in July 1980 after hearing a couple of his songs, suggesting that they work together. One of those songs that he'd heard was Il Jouait du Piano Debout. That means he played the upright piano, which was a tribute to Jerry Lee Lewis. And the other was La Groupie de Pianiste, or The Pianist's Groupie, which, if you listen to it, has got a very familiar sound for Elton John fans. Both songs were all over the radio in France in the summer of 1980 when Elton was out there loving the anonymity. Of, and he ended up buying a house in the hills of Nice in the mid-1990s, so he does love France. Anyway, France Gaulle goes on to say that Elton suggested that they work together and some boy-girl duets were what they decided on, so France and Michel went along to Sunset Sound in California in August 1980 to work with Elton's musicians on a couple of songs. That means that these songs were actually recorded after the dedicated sessions for The Fox, but Elton... Clive Franks and Michel Berger 
produced them. Presumably, Chris Thomas was working elsewhere. That means that in all likelihood, these songs have got D and Nigel as the rhythm section. For me, the A side is a bit forgettable. It's a slow country song without much of a hook. Here's Donner Pot Donner, though, the B side. Pretty verse. Elton didn't write this, by the way. It's a Michel Berger composition with additional lyrics by Bernie. The English lyrics are by him. It's a shame about the chorus, really. It goes a bit lighter than air, a bit yacht rock. He's so sophisticated in a Six is Fools in Fashion, another loungy track with a slow, slidey, shuffly rhythm and with some vamping electric piano to liven things up a little bit. This was written by Elton and Bernie 
and recorded during those sessions with Chris Thomas that I was just talking about when they were beefing up the Fox under David Geffen's disapproving glare. The production of this song has been miscredited to Elton and Clive Franks. Compare the Australian, English and the American records on the 45 Cat website. I'm going with Chris Thomas. It sounds like his work to me. There's also harmonica on there, which the song shares with the title track of The Fox, played on there by Mickey Raphael. That means once more that we probably have Dee and Nigel on this track, along with Richie Zito on guitar. Oh, there's so much to get through. Track seven is the original French version of Je veux de la tendresse, another track that got Elton's heart racing when he heard it coming out of his car radio in France in 1980. The original version by Jeannick Prévost is worth a listen. It's more spare than Elton's Europop interpretation, more air, more despair. Elton covered the song in English with Gary Osborne's translated lyrics as Nobody Wins and released it as a single in May 1981, but he also sang the original French lyrics with that version only being released in France. Skipping on, track eight is the somewhat anachronistic Can't Get Over, Getting Over, Losing You. This is an Elton John Clive Franks co-production, so it's a 21 at 33 era song. It's widely reported that Elton presented some of these 21 at 33 era songs to David Geffen for inclusion on the first Geffen album and that Geffen rejected many of them telling him to go back into the studio and to try again. That means when you think about it that the 21 at 33 era B-sides that came out after the release of The Fox are probably those contentious tracks. So bear that in mind when you listen to this song, Can't Get Over Getting Over Losing You, Tortured, Hey Papa Legba and The Retreat. Consider what sort of album they would have made alongside Heart in the Right Place, Carla Etude, Fanfare Chloe and Elton's song. Maybe with the addition of the new song, Reach Out To Me in English. Presumably Lonely Boy would have factored in there somewhere too. I don't know how. This is pure Jim Reeves schmaltz. You can see David Geffen's concern here. He wanted a modern artist who was going to get hits. And this wasn't that artist. It was a long way from here to I'm Still Standing. It's a pretty song, sure. It's got a slightly skewy bridge. It's got a wry lyric about someone deluding themselves about being ready to move on after a nasty breakup. 
But honestly, this could have come from 1968 Elton and Bernie, desperately writing this sort of material in the hopes that Engelbert Humperdinck would pick it up. Sounds like two songwriters who've given up on being relevant. It came out in the UK as the B-side of Just Like Belgium in July 1981. Geffen's approach to releasing singles was very weird, with different tracks coming out in different territories at the same time. So while Just Like Belgium was coming out in Europe in the summer of 1981, the USA had Chloe, um, with the Elton John Bernie Taupin song Tortured on the B-side. song so simple Don't wanna hide my Tortured a piano ballad with someone on the vibraphone making it sound a lot like blue moves in places one notable thing about the verse is the six second long gaps that keep cropping up Probably the longest bit of dead air in the Elton John catalogue, a real little girl I once knew territory, if you know that song. Um, Tortured has got an elegant melody, it's a simple tune with quite a few something out of nothing twists and turns, made out of a pretty basic palette of chords. I'm glad it's only a B-side, this is another good call from Geffen, I'd say. Um, so here's something that doesn't make it onto my compilation, or, or rather here isn't something. It's Loving You Is Sweeter Than Ever, which was the unsuccessful Christmas 1981 duet between Elton and Kiki. It's a Kiki song. It's excerpted from her album Perfect Timing. It doesn't have any of Elton's musicians here. The B-side doesn't feature Elton. I'm not including songs like this. Other things like this are That's What Friends Are For, Flames of Paradise, Through the Storm, Even The Measure of a Man. I'll talk about that later. All of those aren't on CD3. Track 10 is Take Me Down to the Ocean, which I played in episode 5 as an example of what we're missing out on by there not being a Rare Masters volume 2. This is a Gary Osborne song that was 
built up into a pretty impressive pastiche of an up-tempo Beach Boys number and actually features some Beach Boys on the backing vocals. It was released first in March 1982 on the B-side of Empty Garden in the USA where it was credited as being produced by Chris Thomas. Then when that single came out in Europe a couple of months later, the production was credited to Elton and Clive Franks. Then on the soundtrack to the film Summer Lovers, which came out in July, it's still credited to Elton and Clive. So quite frankly, who knows? It doesn't sound much like anything else from the 2133 era. It's not listed in any of the lists that we see. Surely that's D on bass. My guess would be that this comes from the Jump Up sessions. Either way, it's a solid song. Yes, the organ sounds are a bit on the cheesy side, but for it to be buried away on YouTube like this, what a travesty. Track 11 is another one of those songs that David Geffen didn't want on the Fox. Hey Papa Legba by Elton and Bernie. came out in the US in July 1982 on the B-side of Blue Eyes, having already come out in March that year in the UK. More bonkers localization from Geffen. This is a different sound for Elton. Overdriven organ sounds pitched against some rolling honky-tonk piano in the verse. There's so much promise here at the beginning. Um, I quite like it. Bernie's lyric is a character study describing Papa Legba who is apparently a kind of gatekeeper to the spirit world in the Haitian tradition of voodoo. He makes him sound like a sinister ex-con lounging away at the long, hot days. I like the verse, um, but I find the chorus a little bit hollow, musically and lyrically. And after a while, the brass sections start to grate on me. Um, it's an interesting experiment, though. And a B-Sides collection is a perfect place for it. Elton really was trying a lot of different things at the turn of the 80s.
Track 12 is The Retreat, released as the B-side of Princess in the UK in September 1982, and I guess that's why they call it The Blues in the US in October 1983. This has found its way onto CD, both on To Be Continued and on the reissue of Too Low For Zero. It's a wordy but strong Bernie lyric about a platoon who are forced to abandon a mission, and it's mixed in with references to the soldiers going home and trying to rebuild their lives. In this way, it's a bit like a follow-up to Daniel. It's a slow building tune, but it's a strong tune. Um, Yes, it might have slowed proceedings down a little bit if Geffen had allowed it onto the Fox, but it would have deserved its place on that or on any of his early 80s albums. The verse is somewhat reminiscent of Oceans Away, Um, in fact more than a little bit at times and the chorus has got a really pleasing shape even if it is maybe lacking a little bit of a hook towards the end the band drop away for a lovely breakdown verse back into the third chorus it's a wonderful moment delivering a really organic sound on the plains above the rock face where the sculpted eagles swoop there's a haunted yell for action Among the specters of his troops It was silent on the coastline As the crazy angels danced To the sound of a treating footfall From his military camp So take it home, take it low is the alternate version of Where Have All The Good Times Gone which was on a couple of different Jump Up Era B-sides All Quiet on the Western Front in the UK and Ball and Chain in the US 
I personally prefer the album version where they try to turn it into a Smokey Robinson song. Um, the B-side version comes in sounding a lot like the intro to Love Lies Bleeding. This version's the more frantic one of the two. Davey really lets rip, particularly for his solo at the end of the song. I imagine that this is the first version and that the album version with its James Newton Howard string arrangement was the remake. But then who knows, it's a very rich arrangement all the same and the band clearly know their way around the song, so maybe it's the other way around. One interesting thing about this song is the cover of it by the Australian actor Reg Livermore, done in 1983. This can be found on YouTube. He also did covers of Ball and Chain, Ticking and Someone Save My Life Tonight, an eclectic bunch of songs to be choosing. Um, Reg was Frankenfurter in the Australian version of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He brings that drama into these excellent performances. I would have thought that Elton and he were acquainted out there in Australia in the early 80s in all likelihood. Time to move on. Track 14 is Choc Ice Goes Mental. Elton used to make up names for himself, starting of course with Elton John. Choc Ice was one of these, popping up here as the title of a throwaway B-side in the Too Low For Zero era, used later in the writing credits for Don't Trust That Woman, apparently so as to place Elton's credit before shares. This song is a mess. The outrageous reverb renders it basically unlistenable, which is probably for the best. It's just two minutes of Elton banging out some 12-bar blues doing his little Richard thing. The effect is like walking into the school hall after hours and intruding on a young Reg Dwight up on stage, wowing the imaginary crowd. You just back away. The last two tracks, Earn While You Learn and Dreamboat, were both holdovers 
from the A Single Man era that came out in the UK only as B-sides to I'm Still Standing in July 1983 and Kiss the Bride in October 83. It's possible that these songs found themselves in some sort of contractual limbo land for a while after the move to Geffen, with this being sorted out in the UK at least um, by 83, who knows. It sounds like a fun session, this one. Sounds like something Elton would have written in an attempt to emulate the success of Grooving with Mr. Blow. Elton's Rhodes part straddles the beat in a manner reminiscent of, you know what's coming, Captain Beefheart. Does this song sound like yes? Yes? No? I don't know. It's not really my kind of thing. I think maybe it sounds a bit like yes. There's a Mellotron flute sound in there as well in that post-chorus section. We're in wild territory here. They just let Tim Rennick go at it. His solo is great, as is the main riff. And Elton's jazzy solo at around the 4 minutes 40 mark is fantastic. Here's the other 1978-era track, Dreamboat. Steamboat waiting by the waterside Sunlight shining on the morning tide Got my ticket in my hand Got some celebrating planned Can't remember when I felt so fine I've been waiting such a long, long time Just to hear those engines hum Look out, dreamboat, here I come Steamboat to the other 
make it fast Thank the Lord I'm coming home at last If you love me like you did before Be there Elton's smooth, lilting voice is quite different to his 1983-era voice on the flip side, Kiss the Bride. Both this and the previous track have had a CD release already on the Two Loafers Zero reissue, which made that release a bit of a basket case. Not that I'm complaining, it's great to have any of these songs on CD, but that reissue has the full 7 minute plus version of the song, which features the Paul Buckmaster string arrangement. The actual B-side though was edited down to less than half of that length. Plenty long enough for me and for this collection, but it's a bit of a shame because the strings are cut out in that one. They only start up in the second half of the song and they do add something. It's a slight, sprightly song, pleasing, inoffensive, something else for me to listen to on my yacht. There's a whole episode to be done about a single man and all the other songs that were recorded at that time. I prefer the alternate reality where Ego was a top five hit for Elton and he started to sound like Wire in XTC. Unfortunately though, he saw his sales figures and his relevance ebbing away and his reaction was to veer back towards the middle of the road. And even when he reached for the old sound, it didn't always have the authenticity. Georgia's a long way away from Rotten Peaches, for example. It was like the pilot light kept going out and Elton was there in the cold and in the dark fighting to get the spark back. All of these avenues he went down as well, the Philly Soul album, the disco album, the instrumental album that never was. What an unfocused time all of this was for him. Not that there aren't some massive triumphs here and on the albums that Elton released between Blue Moves and Too Low For Zero, but this isn't an era that Elton looks back on with much fondness, and maybe that's, in the end, that's the reason why we don't have a release of this material. So anyway, that's the end of CD2. Looking back at these CDs as actual artefacts, which of course they're not, I'd still say that they hold together pretty well. CD1's got the three punchy A-sides, the three Tom Bell songs, two fun throwaway songs in the Gold Digger song, Cartier, and then seven very varied B-sides, out of which I would only really call Lovesick and White Man Danger anything other than essential. CD2 is a bit patchier, is still mostly full of Elton John Klein Frank's productions, there are 12 of those on here. Mixed up with four Chris Thomas tracks. This is the CD with the widest spread of genres. Elton was trying a bit of everything during this transitional phase. And by their nature, some of the wilder experiments ended up as B-sides. There are five corkers on here. Love So Cold, Take Me Down to the Ocean, The Retreat, Where Have All the Good Times Gone and Earn While You Learn. There are three real duds. Steal Away Child. Can't get over getting over losing you and Chalk Ice goes mental. And that leaves the other eight as middling. The three French songs are okay. Nothing to get excited about. Tortured drags for me. Hey Papa Legbar has got a load of promise, but it doesn't quite get there. Tactics I find dull. Falls in Fashion and Dreamboat are just a bit too laid back for me to fully embrace them. Still, it's all required listening for Elton John fans and yep you have to scramble around on YouTube if you actually want to do that where's our lovely packaging where's our liner notes 
if any of us want to contextualise this material to establish who played on it, where and when it was recorded, well, good luck with that. There's almost nothing to guide us. My document is probably the most coherent thing we've got. But it's partly based on intuition and guesswork. We can't even rely on the producer credits on the original 7-inch singles. Hopefully I've been able to demonstrate how great this material is and the huge disservice that's being done to Elton John and Elton John fans by locking us out of this aspect of Elton's recording career. If they won't do it for us, won't they do it for the musicians? Steve Lukather, Reggie McBride, Steve Holly and so on. Don't they deserve to be properly credited for their work? It's not far off 30 years since the last Rare Master, so it really wouldn't do to hold our breath while we wait for the next one. Maybe in the meantime, a needle drop campaign is in order. I'll probably come back to that idea in the next Rare Masters episode, which will hopefully be considerably shorter than this one. Um, In that one, I'm going to cover the releases that came out between 1984 and 1991 and also spoil you for some of the surprises that might await you on a potential Rare Masters Volume 2 CD4 full of unreleased rarities. I'd like to thank a couple of my correspondents for their help with this episode. Firstly, Jan Vogel, who error-checked my work and provided a vital sounding board for me as I planned and researched the episodes. And also, as ever, John McEwen, who always entertains my nonsense and in this case provided me with some alternate transfers of some of these tracks from his own collection. If you've enjoyed this episode, please drop me an email. You can subscribe through your podcast player. Consider leaving me a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got any suggestions, any corrections or considerations regarding the track listing or any of the other data that's there in the document that accompanies these episodes, again, send me an email or drop me a line on the Facebook group. Nothing is set in stone when it comes to this collection. I'd also be very keen to hear from anyone of the artistic persuasion. Maybe you think you could make some quality artwork for this imaginary release. If so, again, email me. It's eltonpodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on the Facebook group. I'll go out with Elton debuting Reach Out to Me, uh, Les Aveux, with its original Tom Robinson lyrics during the Paul Gambaccini interview in August 1980. See you next time. The lyric here that you're working on with Tom Robinson, I'm wondering if you could talk us into this work in progress. Well, um, this is just the latest song that I've written. It's, um, I just went up, I've been on holiday in France, and I went to back to the super best studios in Nice where I recorded 21 and 33 and my next album. And I just went out there to put a couple of things down that, that were old things on tape so that I didn't forget them. And while I was in the studio, I just wrote this and uh, did a demo of it. So this is really the latest thing I've written with, with Tom Robinson. What's it called? It's called Reach Out to Me. Okay. Stranded
stages, but it will get there in the end.